All right. Well, once you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Acts 19. Excuse me, I'm just going to make myself a little more comfortable. Um, <laughs> I'm already feeling the heat. I guess it's my, my motivation to go short, so we will see how that goes. <laughs> All right. So uh, as you guys are turning to Acts 19, just to kind of give a little application of what we're going to talk about today. I am a big fan of workout programs. Okay, I'm somebody that's exercised my whole entire life to where if I don't exercise, it just doesn't I I don't feel good. And as I get older, I especially don't feel good because I can't get out of bed if I'm not exercising and keeping myself limber. It's it's no longer training to gain. It's training to maintain. That's that's my motto. But having said that, I like a program because when I have a program, I can make a resolve even before I start that program to get it all the way done like if it's a three-month program i can make that resolve i'm going to do this whole thing and why that's good is because there's most certainly going to be times in the midst of that program where i don't feel like working out or it's getting more difficult you know i'm sore or whatever it might be but because i've made that resolve that i'm going to do it whether i feel like it or not before i ever get to those difficult situations it helps me to endure and persevere and keep going and I couldn't help but think that, man, isn't that our Christian walk? You know, it, it's like, it's good that before we ever get to the difficulty that so often comes with following Jesus, whether it's just hard or there's persecution or there's opposition, which is a frequent thing with following the Lord. Would you guys agree? It's not easy. But before we ever get to that difficulty, we make that resolve in the very beginning that, hey, I'm going to follow God's word. I'm going to do what he tells me to do. Or maybe even there's a specific direction he's given you in life, something he's called you to do or something he's tell you, told you to do for him. And so before you ever get to the place of actually doing it and facing any potential difficulty, you make this resolve, this, this purpose in your heart, like I'm going to do it because he's told me to do it. And so that way, when you do face the opposition, you're able to endure and persevere because quitting was never an option you allowed yourself to have. That is a good practice for us to be in as believers. And it's a great, there's a great example in the section of scripture that we have today of Paul doing that very thing. So just a uh, reminder of where we were in Acts 19. We ended up, or we finished off in verse 20 last week. And we saw these Jewish, Jewish exorcists, these guys that would go around trying to cast out evil spirits of people. And they try to copy Paul, who's successful at that, because he knows the one and only true God. And God gives him that authority to do that. So they see him being successful. So they go around and they try to cast a, a demon or an evil spirit out of a guy in Jesus' name. But they're not successful because even though they knew of Jesus, they did not have a personal relationship with Jesus. And therefore, they didn't have God on their side to help them. And they end up getting beaten up by that demon instead. And the result of those events... Or that event is that, number one, people saw how real God was because they saw that the God that Paul preached had authority that those evil spirits had to listen to. And it put a healthy fear in them, a reverence of that God. And they believed in the Jesus who they needed to so they could be forgiven of their sins and they could know him. The other thing it did was it showed the people just how dangerous those evil spirits or demons were. And there were some Christians that still had some parts of their old life where they were dabbling in like a cult or witchcraft type stuff. And they repented of that sin, basically, 
because they didn't want anything to do with it after seeing how real and dangerous it was. And they take their books that were part of those practices, those their spell books, if you will, and they burn them so that there's no chance of even going back to that sin in their life. They basically have true repentance. And then we see spiritual revival in their lives. Those That emptiness by getting rid of those things that weren't a benefit to them is replaced with more of God and his word for them. And it prevails mightily in their life, as it says, and they grow spiritually. Amen. All right, so that's where we're going to pick it up in Acts 19. Let me pray one more time, and then we'll pick it up in verse 21. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, again, we just ask for a blessing on your word. Lord, this being such a practical uh, section of scripture for us to look at and apply in our own lives so that we can be purposeful about doing the things you are asking us to do for you and making that resolve to follow through with them, Lord, so there's no excuses and no opportunities to in a sense, not follow your will and miss out on everything you have for us. So, Lord, may we glean and learn, and may you specifically speak into our lives how this applies to us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So it says in verse 21, now after these events, or this is basically all the all the stuff we've seen happening into Ephesus up to this point, all the cool things happening. It says, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia in Achaia and go to Jerusalem saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. So take note of that phrase where it says he resolved in the spirit because it's kind of the center of what I want to talk about today. The idea is that the Holy Spirit led him or told him and what he was supposed to do next. And he was purposeful about obeying and doing that thing. That God was telling him to do. And it says in verse 22. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers. Timothy and Aratus. He himself stayed in Asia for a while. So Paul. He continues to show his submission to God's will in his life here. And being willing to move on from what was a very fruitful ministry in Ephesus. Hope you, If you guys have been tracking with us over the last couple weeks. You would probably agree with that. That there's a lot of cool stuff going on there. And. He's showing his willing to his submission to God and willing being willing to leave that to basically step out in faith to go somewhere else and do something else else for God without really knowing what that's going to entail, knowing not knowing if it's going to be as good or bad. But he's willing to go as the Holy Spirit basically gives him an itinerary here of sorts of what God wanted him to do next or where he wanted wanted him to go as his ministry ministry in Ephesus drew to a close. And this surrender to God's will over his own ultimately was the reason why Paul was able to consistently be led by the Holy Spirit in his life, which we see over and over again in the book of Acts. You see these phrases of like, in the Spirit, or as the Spirit led him, or as the Spirit prevented him. Always being led or stopped, just being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And ultimately, that that his ability to do that was because of his surrender to God's will in this life. And it's a good reminder for us then that if we're willing to let him, God is more than willing to lead you through your life as well. I think sometimes we, 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 we understand what scripture says. We under, understand the theology that we have God to lead us, but we don't really think that that's possible. Or we really don't think that, you know, maybe there's things too small. He doesn't really care about that. Or we just got to figure things out on our own. 
or we act that way, at least in our actions. But the reality is you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. You have God's spirit to lead you in every single decision in your life. Jesus tells us this in John 16, 13 through 14. He says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Not some truth, all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. So if you want to know the truth about any given situation in your life, any decision you have to make, do I do this? Do I don't do that? That's what it's talking about here. You have the Holy Spirit to guide you into that truth. But you have to be resolved or you have to be intentional to be surrendered to God's will over your own or to be willing to listen to what he says, despite the fact that it might not always make sense to you. It might not be what you would choose for yourself at first. It might not be the most comfortable thing to do. It might it might even be hard, like at face value. But knowing that whatever God wants for you is guaranteed to be much better than even anything you could ever want for yourself because he knows way better than you is what allows you to be in that place of surrender. I like to think of it like this. When I was growing up, my parents were more than willing to lead me in life. They were more than willing to offer their advice and their direction, which was educated. They had lived many more years than me. So they learned the hard way through things not to do and things that were good to do. And so because of their great love for me, they were more than willing to guide me in my decisions. Now, even though that was the case, I could be somewhat resistant to letting them guide me in my life. Why? Because I thought arrogantly I knew better than they did. That doesn't make sense to me. That's not what I want to do. I don't, I think my idea is better, even though I only lived a fraction of the life they had. And as I got older and I saw that when I did disobey or when I chose my own way, that more times than not, that worked out terribly horrible. Had I listened to them, it wouldn't have. I started to see, wow, they really are right. And it's not just that they're right. They really want the best for me because what they told me was for the best for me. I just didn't listen. And to an even greater degree, that's how God is, right? Because God perfectly loves you. God doesn't make mistakes. And so anything he tells you to do is for your betterment. It's the best thing you could do. And so that's why we can be surrendered. So Paul, he sends two of his trusted companions on ahead of him to Macedonia, the next stop basically on this list of places God wants Paul to go as he's finishing up his ministry in Asia, basically Ephesus, surely wanting to leave that church in a good good position with good leadership before he moved on. And it says in verse 23, about that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. Again, that reference, the way, is what they called Christians back then because Christians lived in a different way than the rest of the people around them. And so they became known as the way. And it says in verse 24, for a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business 
to the craftsmen, or basically he ran a lucrative business. And it says in verse 25, these he gathered together, these other craftsmen, with the workmen in similar trades and said, men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute or basically thought of it. it, He was worried it would be thought of negatively by people, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing and that she may even be deposed or removed from her magnificence. She whom all Asia and the world worship. So little background on Ephesus. It had this huge temple to worship this goddess Artemis, also known as Diana. Actually, in the ancient world, it was considered one of the the seven uh, wonders of the ancient world. It was such a magnificent temple. And people would come from all over to worship this goddess here, the center of their worship being what amounted to a black meteorite that was shaped or carved to look like a woman with many breasts because Diana or Artemis was the god of fertility. And if you're familiar with kind of a lot of the worship that went on back then, there was a lot of immorality or sexual immorality and debauchery that went on with worshiping this particular goddess. So these merchants, these people see this opportunity to make money selling souvenirs per se making these little shrines or these little idols or these little, you know, icons of this goddess so that people could buy them and take them home with them and they can continue worshiping her back in their homes. And this guy, Demetrius, mentioned in verse 24, was one of these merchants, and he basically sees that his profits are shrinking as people are listening and believing this good news about Jesus that Paul preached And they're changing the way they live their lives. One way in particular is that they're getting rid of these these vain idols that were nothing more than little figurines because they realize who the one and only true God is. And so Demetrius, upset at this, as prophets are being affected, he starts to stir the pot. He goes to the other merchants first, the other people who'd have prophets that were being affected. And tries to get them to come against Paul and these other Christians. Greed being the driving factor, obviously. He tries to make it sound like he's worried about Diana's, you know, worship. Like that people still magnify her or whatever. But it's really the greed that's driving everything here. And this opposition is basically a great testimony to the effectiveness of Paul's work in Ephesus. As his main focus was never to shut down the temple of Diana, right? As we've seen, his main focus was what? To tell people the good news of Jesus and to disciple them by teaching them God's word. That's what he focused on, right? And as Paul was faithful to do that, it resulted not in only individual lives being changed. It resulted in that community being changed for the better. Because all of a sudden, there was this going away from idol worship that could be seen by everyone in the community. And it's a great example for us of when we see a sin issue in society, when we see something in our community that's going on that's detrimental to people because we understand what God's word says about it, our main focus, like Paul's, always needs to be addressing the root of the problem 
rather than just trying to fix the symptom of the problem, okay? I am absolutely positive that if there was a ballot measure that came around to tear down the temple of Artemis, Paul would have been a good citizen and he would have voted, yes, get rid of this thing. It's idol worship. It's not the real God. It's affecting people negatively. Let's get rid of it. But his main focus was not running on a political campaign to get rid of the temple of Diana. And knowing that idol worship was just a symptom of the real problem of the people not knowing the one and only true God. So as such, his main focus was again, to preach the good news of Jesus so they could get saved and they could know the one and only true God. And he knew that if they were saved from the sickness of sin, then guess what? The symptoms of that sickness would soon disappear in their lives, including the worship of idols. And that is exactly what is happening in Ephesus. And it's apparent to all, even those that weren't saved, that basically God is being glorified. They're attributing this change in society to the Christians. And it's giving Jesus a good name. Whether they think of him as good or not, it's giving him a name. It's giving them a platform to witness to people. And it's a good reminder to us that Christianity does not just resolve in personal changes in our lives. It will result in changes for the betterment of your community around you. And when I say community, don't just think of like, you know, like Clatsop County or the state of Oregon, your local community, your family, your kids and your spouse, your neighborhood, your church, your workplace. Here's what happens is Jesus works in us and we make that resolve to let the Holy Spirit work through us or do what God tells us to do. Jesus inevitably is going to transform not only you, but other people's lives around you. And that cycle just keeps on going and going and going. And it results in visible changes, not only in your life, but in the people around you and in your communities. Amen. And that's what's happening here. And it's also important to remember that just as we see here and we're going to see in the following verses, it's normal that those changes even though you know they for, they're for the better, they're not always going to be seen that way by the people around you. Or basically, with positive change, you're going to have opposition. And that's what's happening here. Um, and it says in verse 28, when they heard this, or these other merchants, when they heard what Demetrius was saying, they were enraged and were crying out, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with the confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs, or basically those would be kind of like high-ranking officials in the province of Asia, they who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now, some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward, and Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours, they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! So, Demetrius's efforts to get everyone riled up against Paul and the other Christians are successful in a sense in that it basically leads to a riot being formed. And there's people here that don't even know what they're doing. Maybe you've ever, maybe you've been in a crowd before. You've 
seen like a crowd of people gathering around something and you can't see what's going on in the middle, but you just kind of flock to it because you're like, whoa, what's going on? It's like that's kind of what's happening here. People are just see a commotion. They don't know what's going on. The crowd's building. One person's chanting, great is Artemis. Next, you know, yeah, yeah, great is Artemis. They're all joining in. And they rush into this theater, forcing some of Paul's companions to go with them. And Paul, he wants to go in there, probably sees it as an opportunity. Man, there's a bunch of people gathered. I can preach the gospel. But the other Christians are like, no, it's too dangerous. And they don't let him go. And the Jews, they get this guy named Alexander to speak on their behalf, surely wanting everyone to like know that, hey, these Christians, Paul, they do not speak on our behalf. We have nothing to do with them because they didn't want that aggression towards them. But this guy can't even get a word in. Because these people are just yelling. It says here for two hours, great is Artemis. And at first glance, when you look at that, you're like, wow, these people had a lot of time in their hands. It's like, I mean, really? It's like, do you have that kind of time to just stand around and chant over this statue, this this false god or whatever? You know, it's like you've got nothing better to do. But, you know, as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about, man, you know, our our society, us as people... We don't fall too far from the tree or the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree because we can do the same thing. Maybe it looks a little different, but with even greater amount of times when we worship things or we let things in our lives become like idols or gods, they become in a sense a center of our worship or devotion to an unhealthy level. We're not worshiping or most of us, hopefully, I mean, aren't worshiping little figurines or idols of Artemis anymore. But what about our sports teams or our political parties or our hobbies or spending all our life trying to gain wealth and notoriety or obtaining some sort of athletic success or academic achievement or even maybe things that we you know would know the bible says are bad like getting drunk or partying and getting high or sexual immorality we can take all those things and not all those things are bad don't get me wrong in themselves but we can turn them into being detrimental things in our lives as we talked about last week when we let those things start occupying our lives to such a degree that they push jesus out and then all of a sudden we have no appetite for the lord not because he's not good not because we don't need him but because we're filling our appetite with things that don't even satisfy us and so we can do the same thing letting things become unhealthy become idols in our lives and i would argue that devoting our times to those type of things that I listed are what this world would consider normal. Just as here, this was considered normal. Devoting their time and worshiping this idol, those things are what's considered normal. You're actually the weirdo if your life is spent following Jesus or devoting your life to Jesus. Would you agree? It's the same in today's world as it was back then. Yet, here's the thing I'd like to point out. How many people do you still see worshiping Artemis in the world today? Not very many, right? And there's a reason for that because the flip side of it is that there's millions and millions of people that have worshiped Jesus throughout the ages, even to the point of dying for him. And that's because idols never last. They all have expiration dates. In one way or another, anything in this world except the things of God are not going into the next. And on top of that, they'll never ever satisfy you for the way you're looking into, as I talked about last week, in the way that only God can. Amen? And the thing is, 
as you find what you're looking for in a relationship with God, so often is what you try to find in things in this world. That relationship does last for eternity. God will never abandon you. And so that is worth giving all or the majority of our devotion and worship to. Amen. All right. Verse 35. And it says, and when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if they seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today. Since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. So this town clerk, he's probably like a mayor, somebody that had authority in that culture. He basically tries to reason with everyone, calms them down and points out to him, hey, guys, we need to stop this right now. Because if Rome gets word of a riot or an uprising, which the Romans didn't like. They're going to come in here and squash it, and it's going to be bad for everyone. And here's the reality, guys. These guys haven't done anything wrong. If you think they've done something wrong, we have a procedure for this, and you guys are welcome to follow it, which nobody ends up doing, which shows you that, again, most of the people here were just here because it was like some crowd that was forming, and they didn't even know why they were there because nobody decides to pursue it. Or in essence, really what happens is God protects his church and his people yet again. Because they did nothing wrong. Amen? Amen. All right. This chapter is a great reminder to you and me of how God wants to do mighty things in our everyday lives. All right? Because all Paul did, again, I point this out often, the one commission we've given that we've been given that never changes is to preach the good news and teach people the word of God or disciple them. And that's exactly what he does while working for a living, right? We talked about this. He told people about Jesus. He taught the word in the, during his break time. And then he'd work in the morning and evenings, just in everyday life like you and me live. And God did mighty things through that. Need I remind you that, number one, people were being saved. Number two, they were being baptized in the Holy Spirit or they were spirit-filled. There were gifts of the Spirit happening. People were being uh, set free from demonic possession and they were being healed from their sicknesses believers were repenting of sin they were being convicted of it repenting and there was spiritual revival in their lives as a result and then the community around them was being changed for the better as they were leaving behind those harmful things like idol worship in their lives but along with god working so was the devil who was in opposition to all that the Lord is doing in Ephesus, trying to put a stop to it. That spiritual battle battle being so evident to Paul that in the letter to the Ephesians, the letter to this church in Ephesians 6, he spends a big chunk telling them what they need to do to put on the armor of God and stand up in Christ against that battle. Amen? Because he saw it. He recognized this for what it was. Yet here, again, in this text, we see God intervene to protect and preserve his church, because as Jesus tells us in Matthew sixteen eighteen, the devil or the enemy or the gates of hell will never 
prevail against God's church. Amen. He can try his hardest, but he's a defeated foe. Any ground we give him is because we let him have that ground. But standing firm in Jesus and resisting will make him flee. Amen. So that's what happens here. And it was a great reminder for me, this section, because we came back a couple weeks ago from a leader a leadership retreat, as many of you guys knew. And we and I came back specifically, many of us did, but I came back specifically with vision and direction from the Lord, just a, a sense of confirmation that we're doing some things that the Lord really wants us to be doing. And in the last two weeks, I have experienced nothing but, not nothing but, but a lot of opposition. And coincidentally enough, it was, it's, it seemed like the enemy was trying to discourage me from doing the very specific things that God was speaking to me or reminding me of at that retreat. The very things I took away that I made that resolve, we're going to do this because God is saying this either in his word or he's giving me this direction that lines up with his word or he's affirmed that these things we're doing that are in line with his word are good. Those very things are the things that enemies come after. Go figure. Because obviously he doesn't want that. Because those things are resulting in the the kingdom of God being furthered. In us growing spiritually as a church. So again, when things like that happen in our lives, it's best that we're like Paul, already having made that resolve that we're going to do what the Lord has told us to do before we ever face our opposition so we're able to endure and persevere when times get tough and we don't quit. We don't just retreat because we've already made that resolve before we ever get to that difficulty that nope, the Lord said, it, I'm going to do it. I can think when I took over as pastor five years, almost five years ago through a lot of prayer and basically the Lord just every fleece that I wanted him to throw out there I'm referencing getting in or every confirmation he gave me took away every excuse for me not to do it. When I come to that point of like, all right, this is what the Lord wants. I'm going to do it. I made that resolve. I'm going to do it for no other reason. I mean, there were other reasons, but the main reason, this is the reason that's going to keep me going is because God has told me to do that. God doesn't make mistakes. I'm going to do it. And as soon as I did that, I remember the, the, some of you guys have heard this story, but I remember the meeting where our old pastor, Jason, who's here a couple of weeks ago, was making the official announcement to the elders and elder wives. And at the beginning of that meeting, I get a phone call from work because I was still working for Oda at the time from a guy that I worked with that had a consulting company on the side. And he said, I didn't know you were interested or you were willing to leave ODOT because he had gotten wind of that. I was turning my resignation in and I was going to leave. And he's like, you come work for me. And I'm like, well, no, no, I'm not really interested. I'm, I'm you know, I'm leaving to become a pastor. He's like, no, no, no. He's like, I'll pay you whatever you want. You name your price. I don't care how much it is. It's not too big. You just come work for me. And I, like, I mean, I didn't say this to him because it wouldn't have gone good with an unbeliever. But what I heard was like, what I wanted to say was get behind me, Satan. Because it was like, it was like, I know that voice. That is not the Lord's voice. And then like the couple weeks after that was like my last week of work. And, um, we were gone for the weekend and it, it, we were visiting Calvary Corvallis, like a sister church down there in Corvallis. And uh, there was this great sermon from the book of Acts. We're going to get to it eventually where Paul's on this boat and the boat's in a storm and, it's, and, it, and the people think it's going to sink. And they've got these lifeboats they're about to get in. And Paul's tells them, hey, I'm paraphrasing, but he says, you got to cut these lifeboats. You got to cut these 
these excuses to back out of the Lord's will because what he's told me is that we got to stay on the boat and nobody will die. But if you get off this boat, you try to get yourself out of this, you're going to die. And so they cut the lifeboats away. And so as I come back into the office after hearing that sermon, my boss is like, oh, you know, here's the thing. Let's just not be rash. He's like, I know you're going to leave, but why don't you just be take a sabbatical? That way you can try it for a year. If you don't like it, you can come back. You never really have to quit. Your job's always there waiting for you. And I just heard the Lord saying, no, you got to cut the ropes. I told you what to do. You're just going to have to trust me and go and do it. No opportunity to back out. Again, I had to make that resolve. No, the Lord said this and I'm going to do it. And then it helped me when that opposition came to keep moving forward. And what I'd already purposed in my heart that the Lord had told me to do that I was going to do. And so the word for you guys today is maybe in the last two, two weeks, there's been kind of some challenging sermons. When Jason preached a couple of weeks ago, when he said, you know, that word of just consider your ways. Is your walk where it should be with the Lord right now? Is it where you want it to be? Maybe the Lord gave you a word of something back then, something specific that he told you to walk forward in. Or maybe last week when we talked about counting the cost, laying down those things in our lives that we know are taking up up space that only Jesus should be that are preventing us from experiencing everything he has for us. And I'm willing to bet that over the last two weeks, there was probably opposition if the Lord spoke to you to try to discourage you from doing and following what God was telling you to do. Maybe it's something completely different in your life. Maybe you have been told to do something by the Lord, maybe to serve him in some way, maybe to, you know, just cut like there's a sinful thing in your life that God has made clear. This is not good for you. Get rid of it. Maybe even something that isn't sinful in itself, but it's unhealthy. And you just know the Lord's saying, man, this is unhealthy. You need to set this thing down. You need to devote less time to this. Something like that. And the only reason you haven't moved forward into that is because you haven't made the resolve to listen and obey. And you're letting things become excuses to not doing it. that aren't really excuses. It's in a sense, giving yourself a reason to not move forward when that's not from the Lord. I always warn people, like, if God tells you to do something, don't put conditions on that. I can tend to do that. I want you to do this. Okay, I'll do that as soon as you do this, Lord. Isn't that what Jacob does? Like, like first time he, he gets that vision from the Lord's stairway, he's like, oh, Lord, I'll, I'll do this as long as you do this, as long as you bless me, as long as we can do that. We make conditions. But if God's told you to do something, why does there need to be a condition on it? Just do it. Even if that that thing it, it like seems impossible, God's going to make a way. Just step out in the Jordan so it parts. So I don't know exactly what that means for you, but as the worship team comes in, my encouragement to you is make that resolve, just like Paul, to move forward in the word of the Lord. Whether that's something in his word that he's wanting you to move forward in or something specific that has to do with his word, but it's specific to something going on in your life. Make that resolve right now that because God has told me and I know God is good and whatever he wants from me is good, I'm going to do it. And then trust God in the power of his Holy Spirit to open that door for you to do it. Amen? Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, I thank you so much, Lord. You're the one that opens doors that no man can open and shut. We can't, we can't force things open. We can try, but they won't work out for us. We have you to lead us, Lord. And when you speak, we can go. 
When you say to do something, we can do it. When you say we've been set free of sin, we have been. It's not something we're trying to claim or, or trying to win a victory in. We, you've really won it for us, Lord. We can walk in that victory you've given us. And I'm sorry when I, I, I make up excuses or I, I let things get in the way of being obedient, really because I'm scared or I'm not comfortable or I just don't understand because, Lord, you've never not been faithful a day in my life. You've always had my best intentions in mind. It's the same for my brothers and sisters. And, Lord, we have no reason not to listen and obey and not to follow. Even those things that I'm so afraid of, that I don't see how can be good, inevitably you've always shown that you know what you're doing, that you've got my best interests in mind. And I know that you have that same thing for all of us. And, Lord, so we just want to be like Paul. We want to make that resolve. We're going to obey you. At the end of the day, that's all that matters. If you say it, there's authority. There's promises that come with that protection. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Doesn't mean it's going to be comfortable. But we know you're going to be with us. And if you're for us, who can be against us? So that's where we want to be, wherever you say and whatever you're doing. So, Lord, I pray that you'd minister to that to me and to anyone else here right now. If there's something specific that you're telling them to do and they haven't done it, because of any any reason but they just make that resolve right now that they're going to listen to what you have to say and they're going to do it and you in the power of your spirit would help them move forward into that good pleasing and perfect will you have for them in jesus name amen